1: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Keeping Up the Windsors. I'm Rachel. And I'm Michelle. Well, Michelle, it's here, the Harry and Meghan docu-series. It is. And we've got lots and lots to chat about.
0: Oh, what a moment in history. <laughs> what a moment. <laughs> so
1: so we've, we've watched, watched episode one to one three, three to this point. And the way, way we're going to do this episode is, is split it into two parts. So the episode you're listening to today will be episodes one to three of Harry and Meghan's docu-series. And the next episode you'll be listening to will be episodes four, five, and six.
0: Yeah. And we are hoping to get that to you before next week. So if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast. Add us as your favourite and heart the podcast or whatever you have to do in your podcasting app because it will be an out of the blue episode that just pops up before next week. And we don't know when it's going to be edited. That's the reason why we're not giving you a specific time. <laughs> <laughs> but just watch out for it. And then next week in our normal slot, we're going to be talking about Christmas time in the royal households, really, aren't we, Rach? We love a good Christmas episode, don't we? We did one last year and I'm excited to talk about Christmas this year. Exactly, and we've got the carol concert happening So we're going to talk about that And all the plans for Christmas So stay tuned next week But remember, there's going to be that bonus episode this week for part two As you know, Royal Community, we are white girls We are going to be talking about racism in this podcast And that does bring some biases But we will try our best to be as impartial as we possibly can And if you've been listening to podcasts for a while That's always our aim We're not the British press We're not part of the Royal rota we are first and foremost people who love the royal family who love history who love talking about the royals and are fascinated by them but that's me anyway rachel is that you yeah
1: i mean (laughs) if you've been listening for a while we've grown up with them haven't we yeah. and you know they're part of our daily lives especially now that we have this podcast and we have social media we talk about them every single day yeah with people from all over the world that have conflicting opinions and not everyone's opinions is the same and that's absolutely fine we're here for that mm. you know this is the world community and this episode is going to be on our thoughts on the harry and megan series. so yeah let's get on with the rachel you ready let's do it
0: So we start with episode one, and it's set in the scene. They speak about Harry and Megan and their backgrounds a little bit, and they also go into their love story. And I have to say, I'm just going to say this straight off the bat, and some of the things I'm going to say out of my mouth are going to be quite surprising, even to
1: myself. I think I'm the same. And just to be clear, all community, we have not spoken about this. So I don't know what Shell's going to say. She doesn't know what I'm going to say. Yeah, exactly. We made that point of not actually talking
0: about it beforehand. The real surprising thing is... I watched this episode and I liked them. I don't mean that as in like I hated them before. I was just really surprised at how likeable they came across and how just like everyone else they are. And I know that sounds really silly because I, you know, that's like saying just because they're royal or just because they've got money or just because they're Harry and Meghan, they wouldn't feel those emotions. But their love story was something that I think everyone who's fallen in love out there can relate to. And it's something that makes you do silly things, actually. Like, go to Botswana and stay in a tent (laughs) for five days. I liked this episode. And even more so, I liked them in this episode.
1: I think one of the first things that I thought was they've been recording since 2020. So apparently a friend of theirs suggested that they document this part of their lives because of everything that was going on within the institution and them being working members at that time of the royal family and wanting to get out and obviously this is them setting the scene as such. When you look back on the engagement interview, they always said that they were sat by a friend and on this, apparently they actually were DMing on Instagram, which is very modern, but I was yeah. like, well that's interesting because they've always said that they were sat by a friend.
0: I think we're bringing up something that is part of- of their story and it's a a sentence we heard quite a lot in this episode this is our story we're telling our truth we were never allowed to tell our story Megan actually says I think it was uh, episode three the engagement interview was an orchestrated reality kind of edited in a way that would be more palatable to people and I'm assuming she means that the palace have allowed them to tell certain parts of the story rather than the whole thing because their meeting on Instagram is a very normal thing you would never think of prince harry having
1: an instagram account yeah because didn't one of their friends show her or give her i'm I'm guessing obviously his instagram is private and not called prince harry (laughs) (laughs) but she was looking for it and it was all you know environmental pictures and pictures in africa because he spent a lot of time there growing up and she said that she wanted to get to know him as a person rather than all the outside forces as such giving her information which again it's something that I found very interesting, or I'll say about the three episodes in its total.
0: You could see where a lot of people have had little jibs at them, like Harry dressing as a Nazi. How is she not Googled Prince Harry? And they've told it in a way that actually exonerates them from those rumours or backlash. So I think it was clever storytelling on their part that they were filling in all of these gaps and then saying, well... This is actually the truth of it. But the truth is, again, this is a TV series that they've got paid $100 million supposedly to make. And this could potentially be seen as something that is a propaganda piece on their part right yeah. because there were certain things that kind of got my little truth radar going
1: like is this you know my little lie detector like what is going on but I think um, one thing to point out in episode one Megan says books are written about them by people that they didn't know did she forget about in freedom where she gave information to Omid Scobie <laughs> the shade the shade I'm not being funny but she sued Associate Newspapers Limited and in a statement she actually apologised saying that she accepted that Mr. Jason Knopf did provide some information to the authors for the book and that he did so with my knowledge it's always very conflicting between these two and and this is what I find that it's hard to believe what they have to say because we've got these pieces of information it's like well did you forget that you've said that in the past or that you've done that in the past
0: yes and I think that's where sometimes we, as in you and I, Rachel, we can shoot ourselves in the foot with listening to certain amplified voices within our sphere because some things could be potentially amplified from those tabloids that are actually not true. And because we have had these little tippets of differing stories, we do have to have our little truth detectors out and saying, hang on a minute, Like we're never going to know the 100% truth. We're never going to know. We're never going to be privy to that. Because even though Harry and Meghan were saying this is our truth, there's always two sides. There's always two sides to the story. And I think you bringing up these little bits here and there is going to kind of bring us back to the centre rather than being on the peripheries of you either hate the royal family or you love Harry and Meghan or vice versa. So it is interesting that you pointed that out because everything that gets talked about in Harry and Meghan is in a lovely package. I mean, it's, it's beautifully told, the story, isn't it, Rach? Like the way in which they bring certain things into corroborates certain layers of their story But we also have to think, if this was made for the monarchy or the institution, then we would get all the other
1: side of it. It would be a very different story. What's very insightful about the way that Netflix has shot this is that we're seeing parts of their story, photos, videos, that if they had remained within the institution, we never would have got to see. We're seeing shots of them in their kitchen. We're seeing shots of them with their kids. Who, FYI, are adorable. Adorable. Oh my goodness me. Just the most beautiful
0: kids. We did see her in the chicken coop. <laughs> chicken coop still goes strong. Archie's
1: <laughs> ah, ah, chicken in. We love it. I've spoken to a few people over the last few days and I've had a few people actually agree with me. I would have preferred if they had never, ever done the over interview yeah. and they had just released this documentary because when I was watching this, especially in episode one, I found them so much more personable and so much more like, And I think in a way, the Oprah interview has done the opposite of what they wanted it to do. It's brought much more controversy towards them and people disagreeing with them. And I think they thought That that was going to be their moment and everyone would basically fall in love with them as a couple. And it's had the opposite effect. I tell you what, after I finished
0: the three episodes, which I did watch back to back, I thought the exact same thing. If this was out the very first time, I don't think it would have had such a dramatic effect. And I also think, remember, when the Oprah interview came out... We were still, I think we were going through either our second or third lockdown here in the UK. We were in a very different place mentally as a nation with a lot more stuff going on. But the way in which it came across, especially in the time in which they did it, when people were dying, when people were in furlough, when people didn't have any money, it just sounded like a spoilt brat talking about like he got cut off and, you know, oh, boo-hoo me. I think that's where all the vitriol comes from Harry and Meghan. Not that some things that they said didn't resonate, it was also we were in a very different position and listening to it now. And again, like I said, this is quite a propaganda piece for them. But I did also feel like it was true. Like I say, there were bits of it that I I was like, "Mm." (laughs) but I think the majority of this is their story. And we have to also point out is if there's anything that they didn't say when they were in the royal family, they've also got that kind of safety net that the palace told us we weren't allowed to say that, or the reason I did this was because of X, Y, and Z. And again, that doesn't make it untrue, if that is true, but if there are inconsistencies in there, that can possibly be used. So it's like, where do we trust them? Where do we not? But I trust them way more now than I ever have. It felt like, wow, okay, I hear you. It's nice. It's nice now you feel real. Yeah, because that's something you would do on Instagram. And it is something that you would look at their profile. You wouldn't not
1: Google somebody. Do
0: you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness, why couldn't you just said that? Yeah. Why didn't yeah. you just say that in the Oprah interview?
1: Yeah, I mean, let's talk about one of the more controversial quotes that was used in the trailer that has got a lot of people talking. When Harry said, I think for so many people in the family, especially obviously the men there can be a temptation or an urge to marry someone who would fit the mold as opposed to somebody who you perhaps are destined to be with. Now, for me, I was like, well, is this a dig at his mum and dad? Charles and Diana because their marriage was not a love match was it? It was one of the last arranged marriages one of the last royal arranged marriages I would really hope in my heart he's not referring to William and Catherine because over 10 years they've been married and we've previously seen them only in the other week at Earthshot and they looked so much in love still even after mm. all these years and I think that's got a lot of people's backs up because he's not referring to anyone in particular the Queen and Prince Philip they were a love match so to me it just felt a bit all where he's gone with this. And then he says the difference between making decisions with your head or your heart. And my mum certainly made most of her decisions, if not all of them from her heart. And I am my mother's son. When you say it like that, it does sound like he's talking about Charles. Before episodes one to three came out, we saw that first trailer. We said at the time, Is it going to be like when you watch a film and they show the best bits in the trailer? I think from watching the first three episodes, what I'm getting is that they picked the most controversial things to show in the trailer. But then when you watched it in the series, it wasn't actually that controversial.
0: The the one thing I will say is they've got so many people who are friends, who have worked with them, who are security guards. All the different pap shots and old footage they've got and stuff of the couple, they're hardly on screen. You see them, but all of the controversial stuff comes from the other people in the series. And we've seen this with Megan with the Cut article. Most of the controversies came from the journalist writing it about what she thinks Megan's saying. Because Megan's actually going around the houses which is a term we say here in the UK where you never get to your point you just go around the houses and that's what Harry did with that sentence he didn't name anybody he just did a blanket statement he went round the houses I feel like that's what Harry and Meghan did when it comes to the controversial matters. When it came to their personal life and their kids and stuff, they were really open and warm and inviting. And I kind of wanted to like go on a dog walk and look at the hummingbirds with Harry. And it's a massive parallel, an actual fact, right? I even surprised myself because there's a part in episode one where I cried. And I mean, I didn't just like, there's like one tear. I was like, like I had a really good cry. And it was the part where they showed Diana protecting Harry. They were on holiday and the paps were coming really close and Diana goes up and says, you know, back away from my kids. And it's not anything we haven't seen before. I've seen that footage before. But then, you know, Harry's talking about how Megan's very similar to Diana. And then they show the picture of Diana and then Megan saying, that's granny. And I was just like... Oh my god! Like she's never going to meet them. Things would be so much different if Diana was alive. And I don't know what it was. It would just unlocked a part of unfelt grief that I felt for Diana, which was weird because I don't think I've ever really felt very much for Diana because I was so young when she
1: died. Yeah, when I was watching, and this actually got me a bit emotional as well. I didn't cry, FYI. (laughs) (laughs) But Harry's talking about his childhood and he said it was filled with happiness and adventure, but then he's blocked out certain memories of his mum over the years. That's just so sad because he still holds that childhood trauma, doesn't he?
0: He does. And childhood trauma, Rach, robs you of the good memories. It shelters you. So, in a one way, it's a good defense mechanism, and in another way, it stops you from moving forward. I have to say though, Rach, out of everyone in the world, Harry would have had way more pictures and videos of his mum than anybody else at that time in history who would have lost their parent because of who she was i mean it doesn't bring her back it doesn't help in any way but at least he has that access
1: to the footage and pictures and i think what was interesting about this point is it's bringing in the british media isn't it Mm -hmm. the whole motto is don't react don't feed into it like don't feed into the press following them because There was that shot of their press saying to Diana, well, if I can just get a picture. And she was like, no, no, we've been followed by 15 odd photographers. And he was like, well, I wasn't one of them. And she was, no, you've had enough. These are my children. We're on a holiday. You're actually spoiling their holiday by following us constantly. And that's probably what his life felt like growing up and obviously Williams as well. Then we had that shot of William and Harry with Beatrice and Eugenie in Switzerland on the slopes. And I don't think I've ever seen this before, this footage. And what was really interesting to me is that Beatrice and Eugenie are not as much in the public eye as what William and Harry were growing up. But actually, it was a forced photo call because they thought, we give them this press opportunity, we give them this photo opportunity, then they'll leave us alone. But it just proved that that wasn't enough for them. They would just yeah. keep hounding and hounding because at that time, that's what sold the papers was images of them as children and them being members of the royal family.
0: Yeah, and there is a point that is made, I think is in episode three, where it was an invisible contract that William and Harry had signed without their consent from birth and they had no say over whether they were part of it or not, but it affected their lives. And we watched Princes and the Press, BBC documentary couple of months back we've done an episode on it it's episode 37 of the podcast I really implore you to go and listen to the episode or watch a documentary on BBC there is a private detective that has actually come out and said I robbed Harry and William of their childhood and he basically said I followed them around I hounded their girlfriends I tapped their phones I looked into their bins there's no lens that these tabloids will not go to to get a story and it's something that Megan's friend alluded to and she said that the tabloids are not the same as they are in America. And when you live in Britain, you don't know that difference. And I think this is the question that the palace needs to be having. Where did they draw the line between being in bed with the tabloids and allowing there to be a free press? Because there's a difference between being free press and breaking stories and holding people to account proper journalism. And then sensationalized tabloids and just... Complete rubbish. People literally doing unlawful things to get a scoop. Stalking people. Completely hounding their family, their friends. So they're exploiting the very thing that can't be policed because you can't have a democracy without a free press. And I think this is what Harry and Meghan and especially this series is going to highlight in the nth degree is... The lengths they will go to. We've watched princes the press. I said to you before. I think this is going to be Harry and Meghan's version
1: of princes and the press. And tying in with that, one quote that I was like, "Wow, that is actually really true." Is Harry said that the UK swept him and William up as their children when their mother died, and I was just like oh my gosh, because they were showing the clips of going on walkabouts when their mother had died like a few days previously. Harry was 13 at the time. William was, what, 15, 16? You would not expect any kid these days to do that. And I think that's why when we see now royal children, especially the Wales' children, we only get pictures of them when it suits them. We don't have what we used to see William and Harry go through because they do not want that life for their children. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of the times Catherine takes the official photographs that are released to the public because they can control what they're putting out there. And this is exactly what Harry said at the beginning of episode one is this is about us controlling what people see. Mm. If we want to put photos of our kids out, that's up to us. But then you've got that flip side of you don't want to include too many people because The moment that you let people in, that's when they feel that they can get a hold of you. They can then twist the narrative, can't they? Yeah, and they can twist the narrative and a very fine line. And I think that's why throughout this whole week, I've seen clips of William and he's saying you don't let the press in too much because the moment that you do that, they feel that they own you and they can do what they want within your life. And it's like, no, I understand my privilege, and I understand my position within this family, within this institution, but there are certain aspects in my personal life that I'm not willing to give up.
0: But that also is a question I think that I was going to say a bit earlier, but I got sidetracked. That's a conversation for the palace to have as to their relationship with the press. But I think the institution in its entirety is so afraid of having press go against them. and if they're not given access to them it could potentially be the end of the monarchy because you're going to sway the public vote in the opposite way and they get really high rankings because of this royal rotor. that's what harry and megan are saying they are stuck in this cycle I don't know where they go from here. So to finish off with episode one then, we just really got a nice little a sense of them starting out in their relationship, how in love they were. And they kind of bet everything on that love story to stay together because like loads of paps were around, wasn't they? She she didn't really have much of a private life because they were trying to get every bit of information as possible from them. And then, so they've met, what was it, two times, Rach? Before, two times, now? yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and. And then they go to Botswana for five days together, which I think for them holds really special memories. But the one thing, the one thing for me, I just kept thinking is oh my God, is that the love tent? <laughs> 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 there was a picture of the tent. I said, "Don't show me the tent. I don't want to have like <laughs> photographic evidence of their love nest. I just, no thanks."
1: I just thought it was strange that someone you've met twice, only for a few hours, and you haven't even kissed yet, you're going to go on a trip to Botswana. With them. I mean, when you've got money, you can do whatever you want. I guess you know. <laughs> oh I was gosh. just like, "Oh,
0: let's go on a date to IKEA, get some meatballs for them." <laughs> you know, is Botswana and a love tent. But apparently, <laughs> Harry is going to save her from any elephant that comes close (laughs) to the tent. I was like, all right, fine. Fair enough. Steve when you go for it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would not be camping out in Botswana. No way on this earth would I be camping. (laughs) I mean,
0: don't get me wrong. It it must be an amazing experience, but it doesn't offer a lot of security, that tent. Let's put it that way. (laughs) But Rach, get into more of a serious note here. They did actually show the Panorama interview in this episode.
1: Yeah. And I thought when we had the Dyson inquiry, it was William's wish that this never be aired again because obviously from that inquiry we found out that Diana was misled with false information to obtain the interview and access to her and for it to be released in Harry's documentary how must that make William feel? You know, it's it's his mother too. He doesn't have that space to vent his frustrations. He can't just come out in the press.
0: I was very surprised when I saw it. I was. I was surprised.
1: I just thought I get that it's his mum as well but for me I was a bit like oh this doesn't sit well with me. I think that they were trying to make
0: the point that she was deceived, and if they can deceive her, then they can deceive anyone. And she was telling her story, and now they're telling their story. So I don't know how she would possibly feel knowing what we know about Harry and Meghan on the monarchy now. It makes sense that they feel the way that they feel, but is it going to help? Is it going to
1: change anything? Right. So let's move on to episode two. Now, this is where the security side came into it and we found out more about Megan, didn't we? We did. So, this was interesting because at this time, the story had broke that Megan and Harry were dating. She was saying that the paparazzi were paying her neighbors to put security cameras in their backyard so they could see over into Megan's house. Yeah. And I just thought that is absolutely crazy. Can you imagine that intense scrutiny? And this is when the British press, as we know, if you've listened to our podcast, we've said it all along, that the British press, they're toxic. As we previously just said, they'll go to any lengths to get the story. It was at this time where all the race elements started coming into the articles that were written in regards to Meghan. They touched upon, Harry said, You know, my wife had to go through that. So why shouldn't your girlfriend, like, why should your girlfriend be treated any differently? He was saying it was a rite of passage. And his view was, well, no, because this is about race. Mm -mm. Kate Middleton, and I'm calling her Kate Middleton because. I'm referring to her as Prince William's girlfriend at the time, yeah. was harassed for over 10 years. She was called weighty Katie time, time again in the tabloids because it, it was, is he ever going to propose to her? Like She's just waiting around. And then they obviously had their break and then they got back together. And you can see videos of Catherine literally being swarmed by 20 odd men. And she was in her early 20s at this time. And it's absolutely disgusting. And I'm not saying Meghan didn't received that either but what you've got to think is Megan was a actress on a tv show in Canada so she had that level of security in that sense and that level of support whereas Kate at the time didn't have anything because she couldn't get royal protection because she was only a girlfriend
0: yeah because Megan did get security at a a certain point they are alluding to this and, and maybe this is something that the institution just was either blindsided by or knew but didn't want to kind of take the responsibility of changing was the fact that yes she's now Harry's girlfriend yes she's a self-made millionaire she's an actress she had a life before Harry she was going to get everything that the others got but the thing that I think was blindsided, not only Harry and Meghan, but the institution, or maybe not, I don't know, I'm not privy to that information, is the fact that it didn't stop. There is a cooling off period, and that's what the institution kept saying, it's going to stop, it'll calm down, don't worry. Because that's what happened to everybody else. But... Because Megan is this American actress, which I think she was 35 at the time when she met Harry, and she's mixed race, that is going to bring a lot more scrutiny, a lot more spotlight. The tabloids just went to town and they went to town on the race issue. Right. I believe them when they said that it never stopped and it just kept going and they made loads of money from it. So they kept saying it and then they made
1: more money and they just kept going. And I think it was at that point when her friends were being interviewed, they said, is he worth it? Because he had previously had girlfriends, Chelsea Davy, Cressida Bonas, that were literally same as what Kate experienced, swarmed by paparazzi. They would be chased down the street car chases, anti-surveillance. It was just relentless. And those relationships didn't last. He said that he'd found someone that could hack it in that sense because she already had that fame side. I mean, we said it before, Royal Community. She wasn't, well, I didn't even know who she was until she started dating Prince Harry. Like, Suits is not a big show here in the UK.
0: I had seen Suits, so I didn't know who she was, but I didn't know any other than that was her character. That was it.
1: And so, you know, you've got to take that aspect into it because the press were, they were not going to leave her alone. And he said that even when he was in the UK and she was filming in Canada, that Harry's security detail would monitor certain situations because people were trying to get close to her. She would be filming and they had to actually put, fences up to try and stop people from trying to get towards her trailer yeah i mean that must have been pretty scary at the time absolutely
0: i know it is unprecedented that the queen brought Meghan into the hashtag fold way earlier than anybody else and i think this is my own speculation that was her majesty queen elizabeth's way of actually saying she's accepted here and for the press, like, step back. And they never did. Um, Like, for instance, she went to Christmas with them when she was Harry's girlfriend. That never, ever happened before. It was only wives. She went on an engagement really early, didn't she, with the Queen? Let's put it this way. We have to also bring up a topic that is brought up in this series. That the institution does not have any control over the press. They are in the press's hands, so to speak. And I'm sure in episode four, five, and six, future Michelle and Rachel will tell (laughs) us. But I'm sure there will be, you know, the institution sold this story. They've pushed that, they've pushed that. But the
1: institution is just as much their prey as Harry and Meghan is. Let's move on to when Meghan met William and Catherine for the first time. Oh my goodness. I rolled my eyes at this bit. I was like, oh, come on. So apparently there was at home, um, Meghan and Harry, and she made a point of saying that she was barefoot and wearing ripped jeans. I was like, okay. <laughs> and then she said, I'm a hugger. And I went to hug Kate. And then... I'm not kidding. As soon as she said that, I squirmed. I yeah, went, uh, and then. not do went- that. And then I realized that the formality on the outside carries into the inside. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, hang on a minute. If someone I had never met before went to hug me, I would be like, well, what are you doing? Like, personal yeah. space? Like, why are you hugging me? And I don't know if this is a cultural thing, if this is a British thing. I've spoken to a few people the last few days I was on Instagram who are European. And so many people have said, That's not just a British thing. Like in our country, we would never for the first Mm. time hug someone like that you've never, ever met before. Yeah, I don't think this is part of being the royal family. I just think it's meeting someone for the first time and being like, hello, nice to meet you. Maybe a handshake or hi, how are you? You know, it wouldn't end up in a hug. Mm. That's just me anyway. I don't know about you, (laughs) Shell. Well, let's put it this way. We can only talk about ourselves as British people.
0: And to do that from a cultural perspective, it is a big no-no. And we would call it forward. That's a bit forward. As in, that's a bit too friendly. It's not the right setting. And I would even say this, even hugging after the first meeting is still a no-go. The only time I would hug someone is if I then deemed them to be a friend mm. or I was thanking them for something, like they've given me a gift or something and I'm, I know them well enough. But it's always a handshake or a yeah. smile like, oh, hi, welcome. Come on in. Yeah. That's it. That's as much as you do, right? So anyone out there who's a hugger, step back put your arms (laughs) to your sides and just do that
1: smile so I don't think this is Catherine being cold whatsoever because we had so many things that we saw so many things over on Twitter and over on Instagram it's not Catherine as an individual being cold it's British person cultural don't hug me what do you think you're doing
0: (laughs) yeah and I guess in a way maybe that does seem very cold and formal for others but that is our culture we're not cold and formal people normally it's just that on the first meeting, after that, if it goes well, then fine. If, you know, if you stay cordial, then you don't hug second time. But if you like the person, then it's like, oh, hey, you know, welcome back. You know, come on in, have a cup of tea. That's how our, like, we like you. We like you. (laughs) But I think maybe the way they edited this part made it seem that way. You know, this is my speculation. I'm speculating that she was talking about them being cold when she met William and and Catherine, but then also the formality of being in the house. You know, in the aristocratic circle, you still are that formal. You never drop that mask. And let me tell you something. It's a point that I want to make, and I want to stress this really strongly. There is a class system here in the UK that can be very stifling and very different to other countries. Even so, If I went into that situation and I'm working class and I go into meeting the queen, I wouldn't know the rules and regulations because I am not of that class system. So even though I know the culture, I am British, I would struggle in that situation. So I really felt for Megan because she's got that class divide and the cultural divide. So I really felt for her because I was like, you know what? She didn't have a chance. (laughs) She did not have a chance.
1: Yeah, but I think as well, there was that bit where she was saying that when she spent Christmas with the family and she was on the phone or texting one of her friends and she was saying, oh, like everyone's so nice, everyone's so welcoming. Um, She apparently was sat next to Prince Philip at dinner and they was having conversations and Harry jokes like, oh, you've probably got like his bad ear, like he's deaf in one yeah. ear or something. It kind of contradicted the coldness element because then she was saying everyone was so warm and friendly. Let's then talk about her meeting the Queen For the first time, because again, this has been very controversial this week, hasn't it? Okay, you tell me your thoughts and I'll tell you my thoughts afterwards. Okay, so I can't remember. I think she's told this before, maybe in Oprah. Royal community. I'll get mixed up because we've had Oprah, we've had the cut, we've had Variety <laughs> magazine. I don't know an archetype. Yeah, I don't know where the, all this information is coming from. But she said this before that when she went to meet the Queen first time, she was driving to Royal Lodge, which is the home of Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson, the Duchess of yeah. York. Harry in the car said, "My grandmother's going to be there after church. You do know how to curtsy, right?" And she was like well what do you mean it's it's your grandmother and he was like no you you have to curtsy it's the queen for me i was just like even if she wasn't culturally aware everybody in this world near enough nine times out of ten knows who the queen is and you would know that you would have to curtsy or at least stand up for her majesty i thought when she was describing when she did the curtsy and she really exaggerated it and it was like she was mocking having to curtsy but then i thought but is she mocking herself curtsying? As she was telling the story, Harry looked really, really uncomfortable as she was telling this. So I don't know. Like, I think she was kind of like making light of the situation, like, oh, she had to curtsy. And she said before that Sarah Ferguson actually taught her outside Royal Lodge before she went in to meet the Queen how to curtsy. And that's mm-hmm. why when you've seen her, because Sarah Ferguson was really famous for doing like a really deep Queen Mary in the Crown curtsy. Yeah. I don't know. This for me was a bit condescending. And the way it came across, it just made me feel really uncomfortable watching it. But again, I don't know if she was mocking herself. And I I think that was her intention, but the way it came across is not the way she probably meant it. So this is what I think. What you were saying about her not knowing that you need to
0: curtsy, she didn't know that you needed to still curtsy the Queen in her private time. And I think that's what it was. Like, we're going over for dinner. And he's like, no, she's the queen. You need to curtsy. That's what she meant. I don't think she meant that she didn't know she needs to curtsy her at all. I actually laughed at this bit. I think she meant it as a funny way. And the reason I think this is because I've been to Medieval Times and tournaments in Florida and I've always wanted to go to like a knight's jousting kind of like meal thing because I watched the Osbournes way back when on MTV and Kelly Osbourne went to Medieval Times for her birthday and I was like, whenever I go to America, I want to go to Medieval Times. And I met the king, and I did the exact same curtsy that Megan did. I was literally just taking the mickey, like, oh, your, your majesty. So I understood that she was completely mocking herself, and she was doing the kind of like, the only reference I've got of curtsying is in medieval times, so I'm going to try and do it. And she did the bow, didn't she? She said, pleasure to meet you, your majesty. She actually said it was so intense. Usually, Jack, and Fergie said, you did great but I didn't know what to do. And also, I think for me, that's what she did. She literally was like, the only frame of reference I've got is this. So I'm just going with it. And then she was mocking herself. She was 100% mocking herself. The other thing I will say is, I'm a performer. I grew up acting, singing, dancing. I embarrassed my family all the time. I sing when I'm in the supermarket. I will do weird things just to get a reaction because that's what we do as performers. We just do our thing. We're very unbridled in that sense. And that look that Harry gave her was exactly the look my husband or my family give me when they're like, oh, she's on one again. You know, that kind of thing. I totally took this in the way that I think Megan intended it. I didn't find it as funny as she found it, but I did
1: laugh. So then we had the proposal story I was shocked by
0: this, actually, this proposal story, Rach.
1: Yeah. So one thing that got me was Harry said that he had to get permission from the Queen, which he would have done as a prince of the United Kingdom. That's just what you would have to do. Obviously, the Queen said yes. And he said that I had to do it in the UK. And I was a bit like, hang I on a don't. minute. No, you don't. Because William and Catherine got engaged in Kenya. <gasps> I was like, what are you all about? You have to, you had to do it in the UK. And then we had videos of Megan filming herself to one of her friends saying, I think it was Jess she, in UK, saying, oh my God, it's happening. It's happening. This
0: is where my truth detector came out. It just felt like something that, like, for instance, you're in a cupboard. Oh, was she in a cupboard? It looked like she was in a cupboard. No, she was outside, wasn't she? There was no, like were lanterns I- on the floor no, 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 I'm on about when she's doing the whole Jess thing. Like, I'm not allowed out, Jess. You know, he said not to peek. Honestly, my little truth radar came up. and I was like, this doesn't feel right.
1: Yeah, because I think it was in the engagement interview. They said that she was roasting a chicken in the kitchen and he got down on one knee and he proposed, but... That's not what they showed, like from the video clips. That's not how it was. I I don't know. Again, I was like, hmm, this is a bit of a contradiction between what you previously told your story. But again, I guess they were both saying that we weren't allowed to tell our story before, but I don't see what the difference between the institution going no, don't say you roasted a chicken in the kitchen for your engagement story. Yeah, Like it doesn't, like, why would the institution tell them not to tell that story? To me, that just didn't make sense. I
0: know. And I think it makes sense that the institution may possibly have told them not to mention Instagram. But for this, because I think that's super cute. It was like on a little blanket with Guy. There was 15 electric (laughs) lights, (laughs) you know, candles. 15, Royal Community. That's cute. That's what we want to hear. But I actually think that they wanted to keep that for themselves. They wanted to
1: keep like part of that for themselves. And now they're like, well, we're telling our story. We might as well just say it. Yeah, true. I don't know. Yeah, it just didn't sit well with me. And then towards the end of episode two... We have not Harry and Meghan themselves, but we throughout this episode that we've seen, we've had commentators. And the commentators are talking about what was going on at the time in Britain with Brexit. And they were referring to it in relation because at that time, Harry and Meghan's engagement story broke and the country was going through Brexit. And it was a very tumultuous time because a lot of people were voting to leave Brexit due to immigration. And so they were trying to link Harry and Meghan... To Brexit in that way. Yeah.
0: They were saying that there was a growing sense of nationalism and with nationalism creates a right wing, kind of like this is our country feel and anyone that doesn't look white and not born here doesn't belong. But also, we have to connect the two. The when they did leave, they were called Megxit in the tabloids, right? Which is a slight on Brexit. Rachel, I have to say though, we saw somebody who I was just wondering whether she was going to make an appearance. But it was Doria. It was Megan's mum.
1: No, we've never heard her speak before, have we?
0: No, and I think we should create like a Doria fan club. I absolutely (laughs) love this woman. She's full of grace and dignity and elegance and integrity. And I really value that in people. And I love the fact that she, it seemed like she had a weight taken off. Or like, I can talk about this now. I've been tight-lipped for so long.
1: Yeah, I I thought it was nice to see Doria because again, it gave that, other aspect because when Harry and Meghan got married, the only member of Meghan's family that were there was Doria. And so she's kind of been on this journey with them from the beginning. So it was nice to see and hear her perspective because you kind of forget that even though this all happened to Megan, Doria was affected as well. Like there were press following her, paparazzi following her, people going through her bins, trying mm. to get a rise out of her. The whole straight out of Compton thing wasn't necessarily directed at Megan. It was more directed at Doria. Yeah, it was. And so it was really interesting to hear her perspective on what's gone on over the past few years.
0: And the fact that she mentioned that she had been offered money from paps
1: and she just didn't take it. Yeah, she said, why, she was like, this is my child. This is my yeah. daughter. I'm not going to sell my child out, which was really interesting because obviously that's exactly what her father did, which we'll talk yeah. about in episode three. That's something that Megan alluded
0: to as well. The fact that the the tabloids assumed it was going to be the black side of Megan's family that were going to sell her out, where it actually wasn't. It was the white side. And I think they were waiting for some dirt to be dug up. And Megan was like, My mum's classy. Yes, she is. She is. And Doria really has represented. And she did a proud on her wedding day. Doria showed up, head held high and represented her.
1: Right. Let's move on to episode three. So they showed parts of the engagement interview, which Megan referred to as an orchestrated reality show. Yeah, which was very interesting. So, we've touched on this previously, but they were basically saying they weren't allowed to tell their whole side of the story. One bit I actually liked about the interview was we got to see the ring. I was like, that's what we want to see in an engagement interview. Yeah. We want to see the ring, right? And what's really interesting about this is, Marcel Hussein, sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly. But she was the one that actually did their engagement interview and it was on the BBC. And so there's been conflict about this as well, because they were saying they weren't allowed at the time to show and tell their side of the story. And she's actually gone on the record and she said, I remember it as being a day that was full of joy with a major focus for everyone who was there from the BBC team was to make sure that Harry and Meghan, the two people at the heart of it, felt as comfortable as possible that this was their day. We went to Kensington Palace. We went and had a conversation with Harry and Meghan and the two members of their team beforehand. And we talked about what the interview would cover, what they felt comfortable sharing. And after that, we went and set up our cameras. They went away for a bit, did their photo call. And when they came back, we recorded a 20-minute interview. This is kind of conflicting, and I'm not too sure where the truth lies. Obviously, Harry and Meghan are saying, you didn't hear the whole story of our engagement. But that's coming from the person that actually interviewed them.
0: Mm. And like I say, this docuseries is packaged in a way that is beautiful and is brilliantly story led. But that doesn't mean all of it and 100% of it is accurate. It just means it's 100% their truth their story. There's always going to be somebody else with another version of the truth is what I'm trying to say. It's quite interesting this episode because they go into colonialism and they go into that Elizabeth I paid for the first slave ships and then um, subsequent monarchs had funded slavery and also the different people who were persecuted and vilified and held back in their culture, and that slave owners had been given money for the end of slavery. And it's interesting because, again, this is the backstory of the history of the royals. However, there's other parts of it that hasn't given you the full aspect of it. It's just one part. I'm not going to use this episode to talk about race and slavery and the royal family. But it's interesting that it was put there as some foundational work then go into the Commonwealth and talk about Her Majesty. That was her legacy. For me, it so- sounded like she was trying to recruit all these countries, you yeah. know, for the Commonwealth. I was like, that's not how it
1: works. People want to be part of the Commonwealth. One of the commentators, Furt Hirsch, again, i am probably pronounce that incorrectly, she referred to the Commonwealth as the British Empire 2.0. And what's really interesting, like you said, Cheryl, about the Commonwealth is that countries sign up voluntarily to be part of the Commonwealth. And only this year, we've had two new members join, which was... Gabon and Togo, they joined in June this year. And when you look back at the history of the Commonwealth, when the Queen first ascended to the throne, there was only eight countries, and now there's 56 countries. Yeah, It's something that people want to be a part of. They're referring to it as capital investments, that the Commonwealth was set up for this reason. What we've got to remember is as well, the Queen is head of state of 14 countries, but there's so many countries that, for instance, Barbados... The Queen was head of state of Barbados, but last year was made a republic. And we actually cover this in the podcast because then Prince Charles went to Barbados to go to the ceremony, didn't he? Yeah. But they have still remained a member of the Commonwealth. The Queen, like you said, like the Queen's... Legacy, they were dismissing it in a way like it was nothing. And what I found was a bit hypocritical. And because they didn't actually speak about themselves, it was commentators. When they first joined as working royals together, they were Commonwealth ambassadors.
0: Absolutely. And that's what annoyed me the most. The way in which the Commonwealth is, the head of the Commonwealth is elected it's not given to her majesty or king charles they were elected to become head of
1: the commonwealth you know the next vote it could be somebody else right so i don't understand their point point. and then they also brought in in terms of the race element princess michael of kent wearing a blackmail brooch mm. and harry was saying part of the problem and part of the solution is certain members of the family have unconscious bias yeah and i am actually glad that they brought this up that you know, there's that one shot and it's it's come up so much It's ever since they've left as working members of the family is Harry in that Nazi uniform. Yeah. And he said that was one of the biggest mistakes of his life. And he spoke to the chief rabbi in London. He went to Berlin and he spoke to Holocaust survivor and he learned from his experience. And he said that 10 years in the army as well really helped him have that lived experience that other members of his family wouldn't necessarily have had. It's interesting, isn't it?
0: Because... Unconscious bias, every single person on the planet has it. You can't make something conscious unless you are self-aware enough to understand it or somebody brings it to your attention. So that's the reason Harry said, It's no one's fault that you have unconscious bias, but what you do with it when it does get called out is a different story. So I applaud him because I think he's worked very hard. And he also said he's very proud that he has mixed race children. I think, to be honest, and it's something that Harry alluded to in the Oprah interview, that had the institution used Harry and Meghan in the way that could have been the best for them... So as president and vice president
1: of the Commonwealth, that could have created those conversations to have. Another thing within this episode that I found was quite, I don't know, not difficult to take in the sense that it was difficult to hear, but they were getting ready for an event and an ex-member of staff, Mandana Diana, again I'm very sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly they were having a conversation and she was like so what is a royal expert and then Meghan was like well you're asking the wrong person ask you know H because that's what yeah. they refer to each other M and H they don't and call has. each other Meg. yeah Haz and Meg
0: <laughs> I really just wanted them to call themselves Harry and Meghan because they can't <laughs> call themselves H and M can they <laughs> they
1: can't call it H H&M. and M uh, and Harry was saying it gives them extra credibility if they're known as a royal expert and it's an a unwritten royal correspondent wasn't it yeah, royal yeah. correspondent. And, you know, there's an unwritten contract between the institution and the press. If you're part of the royal rotor, you have priority over everyone else in terms of other journalists. And he was saying this family, the royal family the institution is ours, the British press, to exploit and it's a cutthroat business and they're fair game. I think what we was expecting, especially from the trailer, was Harry and Meghan to be talking a lot about maybe certain family members or the actual family. But yeah. what I got from this was it wasn't an attack on them. It was more an attack on the institution and the British press. But then yeah. there's the fine line because they are the royal family. Like, yeah. there's no two ways about it. So difficult to differentiate between the two of them because they are one in the same. They also made a point of
0: saying the royal rotor want them to behave and play up to the camera and give them something to talk about when they just slagged them off last week? You know, and how can you look in the faces of a journalist you want them to give you good press when they've just been slagging you off and being racial to you, you know, a couple of days ago or to your family member? It's toxic. It really is.
1: And again, listen to the episode, The Prince and the Press, because we talk a lot about the British press in that episode. And I think you'll get more of an understanding of what we're trying to say to you in this podcast episode yeah let's move on to Megan's princess diary moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she was like there's no class on how to sing the national anthem there's no class on how to wave and at this point I was like are you are you kidding
0: yeah again, that was my like, my little truth detector was yeah. like oh hang on a second
1: again she brought this up in the Oprah interview You've got Prince Harry sleeping right next to you. You're apparently really good friends with Princess Eugenie. You would have had people to ask and then she was saying about the way she was dressing that she couldn't wear certain colors in the UK because you can't wear the same color as the queen especially if, if you're on engagement with her majesty and you couldn't wear the same color as a senior member of the family. So she tried everything that she could to fit in and that's why she wore more neutral tones. I'm sorry, I've seen so many pictures of Meghan wearing colored outfits. I I just don't understand where this thinking's coming from what she's alluding to is you've got three different houses
0: Clarence House Buckingham Palace and Kensington Palace and the communication between the three houses were not not happening so nobody was telling her what colours the other family members were wearing and so she had to just go right okay well they're probably going to be wearing some kind of colour so I'll wear these three but also one thing I thought straight away is Prince Charles wears that camel coat all the time (laughs) the Princess Royal she no one she doesn't care what she (laughs) blooming wears does she? The one thing I will say is, having listened to Angela Kelly, The Other Side of the Coin audiobook a couple of weeks ago, it really brought home how much detail goes into every outfit that Queen Elizabeth wore. And I just thought to myself, right, okay, if they are that, I want to say pedantic, but you know, that detailed on a specific shade or a specific flower. Megan was a senior member of the family. I don't understand why that would not have been given to her why she wouldn't have been given someone to help her. For her not to have that seems weird, especially when she had her own makeup artist who she worked with for 10 years. Why wouldn't she have her own stylist? And if she didn't have
1: it from the institution, then why didn't she get one herself? I, it just, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. But then when you go back to finding freedom, Michelle, that was one of the points was that Megan wanted to, to be known that she didn't use a stylist because that was one of the things that she could control was her fashion choices.
0: If that is the case then, and that is the truth, then you cannot moan about not knowing about certain things then. Because yeah. if you hired a professional, they would be able to at least have some kind of understanding.
1: You know, one of the things that has been brought up within last week... And again, we always said when we listen to Princeton in the press, we're going to be really dubious any time we hear of a palace source. <laughs> and we've
0: said that ever since we started the podcast. If we yeah. hear a palace source, we're not going to believe it. A palace source then. <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen. Go is
1: That. She was given a dossier that contained information like this. And we do know that the Queen offered Lady Susan Hussey as a guide for Meghan because, obviously, Lady Susan Hussey was one of the most senior members of the Queen's household. Mm. She knew how the institution worked. She knew how engagements worked and what would be expected of her, Meghan apparently didn't take up the offer. So again, it's one of those things where we will never know. Like Obviously, Meghan has her truth. From this documentary, so far, we have not had any statement or anything from Buckingham Palace. I yeah. think that's because they're waiting to see what's in this documentary in its entirety. And then they're going to wait to see what's coming out in Harry's book before they speak out about anything. Because if they speak too early, they're damned if they do, they damned if they don't. At the moment, it's that keep calm, carry on, don't complain, never explain. But also,
0: Rachel, they haven't really said anything.
1: Anything damning has come from the commentators in the docu series. To be honest, Cheryl, by episode three, I actually went on my phone because I found it a bit boring mm. by, towards the end of it. It's nothing new. Like you're just yeah. rehashing this story. Mm. who knows where we go from here as we said episode 4, 5 and 6 we might be saying something totally different but that's my opinion is that they're going to wait until all the information has come out before anything's said
0: yeah we learned a few things Archie loves Benny and the Jets and also the guy that was like Harry's brought his girlfriend so I brought mine I was like yay <laughs> oh that was so cute when he
1: brought his little owl and it was really funny when I can't remember what episode it was in Archie was like I got a dirty foot Mama. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, so funny
0: and they were just like it's just kids isn't it I love it so the last point we're going to talk about before we wrap up episodes 1, 2 and 3 the Markle side of uh, Megan's family do you believe that she's telling the truth or do you believe Samantha and Thomas Markle side oh. of it
1: I 100% believe she's telling the truth, that yeah, Megan's telling the truth. We could see those were staged pap shots yeah. of her father, Thomas Markle, at the time he was trying on a suit. And it was just yeah. like, it's just so false. Like, you can tell these have been set up. And there were so many stories at the time of him coming out and saying certain things within the media. And then mm. it was announced that he wouldn't be at the wedding. And obviously, there's now been that leaked letter, hasn't there, which she took Associated Press to court over was the fact that it was personal information that was leaked. Whatever you, whatever you've done, like we don't care. We'll help you get out of Mexico. We'll help you just answer our phone calls because he wasn't answering them. I actually felt really bad because when they were showing certain videos, it looked like growing up, she had a really close relationship with her father. Mm. And I think that's why Doria brought up the point was I'm not going to sell my daughter out because she's already had one parent do that. Like that would destroy her as my child. I can't do that to her. Yeah. And also how embarrassing for her on a world stage that
0: her father would have done that to her. I mean, I've been reading Revenge... Tom Bauer book and it's quite interesting the angle that he takes with Meghan with her family you know he builds it up that Thomas Markle has paid for all of her education she was like a pampered child she was very spoiled growing up but regardless of whether that did happen or that didn't happen for someone of your own family to stab you in the back like that is painful and then I didn't even know she had a niece so Samantha Markle's uh, daughter it's a bit like a puzzle piece isn't it and they put all the puzzle pieces together and you're like ah okay I've heard a lot from that side of the family and now I'm hearing Harry and Meghan's side of it And I felt so
1: bad for her. Her niece, Ashley, made a point of saying they didn't connect till later on in life, but she felt she had more of a sister bond with Megan, and they would go on holidays, etc. But she didn't attend the wedding. And I, I did think this was a bit strange that she didn't actually attend because apparently the institution said... Oh, it's everything that's weird. happening with your father we just basically don't think it's a good idea I
0: mean it would have been interesting to find out why other members of Doria's side of the family wasn't at the wedding but again it's one of those things where they're going to only tell the story they feel comfortable with let's wrap it up then Rach what did you think of the first three episodes
1: I honestly enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to Yeah. I was more sympathetic towards them than I have been previously. Harry actually said this himself. There'll be people worldwide that don't agree with what I've done and how I've done it. And I think that's what it is a lot Mm -hmm. of the time. I still think there's so many inconsistencies that in a way you you want to root for them, you want to like them, Mm -hmm. but there's just something that just turns me off of them and I Mm -hmm. can't put my finger on it. I feel like now watching episodes one to three, I understand them more. Yeah. But I don't agree with how they've gone about things. I
0: liked it. I really went in with like, right, let me just take off my royal hat for a moment. Just watch it. I was very taken aback when I cried at the first episode. And I like their love story. I think it's cute. But the other thing is that uh, maybe we didn't bring this up, but I will say this really quickly. Harry kept saying I'm a ginger guy like, and I put in Meghan on a pedestal Harry you're a member of the royal family it's an equal fitting it just really annoyed me constantly when he kept saying that there's nothing wrong with being red haired like (laughs) what is going on? So anyway, that's a side note. I thought the way in which it was put together was good, but I still have a little stomach feeling that the four, five, and six is gonna just twist the knife even more. But then actually, maybe what they're doing isn't twisting the knife. They're just showing us the wounds that have been there for a while that we're not willing to see because we love the Royals.
1: As always, you can let us know your thoughts over on Instagram at Keeping Up the Windsors Pod, or you can email us at Keeping up the Windsors pod at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel, Keeping Up with the Windsors, and you can also leave us
0: a review over on Spotify, Apple, or Podbean. And if you want to leave us a five star review, you can. It's always welcomed. We love bringing in more of the royal community and also hearing what you have to say about the podcast. If you would love to support Rachel and I and keep us on the air, you can over on Kofi, K O F I is four pounds or six bucks and you can give us a one-off coffee or you can join our VIP Royal community over on Kofi. Thank you so much for
1: listening and we will see you next week on Keeping It With The Windsors.